A reading from the Gospel according to St. John in the 20th chapter. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so am I sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed this because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to be seated. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and you are our redeemer. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Alleluia. Today, we read from the Gospel of St. John in chapter 20. And in this gospel lesson today, Jesus appears to his disciples, but not all of them. One of them gets left out. And so there is a longer story that emerges on the other side of that. Sometimes we refer to this as the story of doubting Thomas. And that idea of doubt or trust or faith those, those virtues that sort of sit at, the, at, at the, the center of our Christian life is what I want to spend time talking about today. Because I know that it's true for me, and so it's probably true for most of us, that in the midst of this season where we feel distant from each other, we can often feel distant from the Lord as well. And so this can be a season where we are filled with doubt. We wonder if things are going to be okay. We wonder when things are going to go back to normal. And that anxiety that happens inside of our hearts 
changes the way that we read Scripture. It changes the way that we relate to each other. It changes the way that we see the world around us. And there's a challenge to us in the gospel today. The challenge doesn't come from us from the gospel writer. The challenge comes to us from Jesus, who says, do not fear. Jesus' words to the disciples over and over and over again are, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Those are Christ's words to his people then, and those are Christ's words to his people now. Do not be afraid. But if you're like me, that's a hard word to receive because there are lots of things to be afraid of. If we're being honest, there are things that new things that show up every single day for us to be afraid of. Is this going to work? Is that going to work? Is this going to happen? Or that going to happen? We're surrounded by uncertainty. And here's the trouble. We live in a culture that is, uh, Flannery O'Connor used to call it Christ haunted. It's not a religious culture but there are religious memories that sort of show up. And so when a national catastrophe happens, the question that leaps into our minds is, how, would, how can God allow this to happen? Maybe you've asked that question. We all ask that question at some point in our lives. Why was this thing allowed to happen? And the trouble of living in a Christ-haunted culture is that immediately voices begin to spring up to answer that question. Maybe they answer it because they feel anxiety and stress in their own hearts. And maybe they answer that question because they, they, they are afraid. And a lot of times they answer that question because they feel like other people are asking it and they want to give an answer. But the trouble with a culture that's Christ-haunted is that the images of God that most of us carry around are not icons of a living God. They're caricatures of a God that we can fit comfortably into the lives that we live. I think I've recommended this book to you before, but I'm going to do it again because it's one of my favorites. I encountered this when I was in high school and have kept this little pamphlet with me all this time. And this book is called Your God is Too Small. It's written by, uh, by a guy named uh, J.B. Phillips, who was uh, a contemporary and a friend of C.S. Lewis. And he wrote this little pamphlet, which I'm sure that you can get online. I'll, I'll post something to our, our Facebook page if I can find a copy of it. Uh, but it's just a fantastic little book where he examines the caricatures that we all carry along with us. Uh, and, and even though it is an older book, it was written 70 or so years ago, um, the caricatures that he describes are things that we see whenever we uh, you know, scan through our Facebook feeds and we read through memes or we examine uh, blog postings and, and other things that people are sharing along the way. Uh, there's, there's God as the policeman who's there to catch you whenever you mess up. And there's God as the parent. And his job is just to make sure that you do the things that you're supposed to do and that you have the things that you need. There's God as the eternal, ethereal, heavenly grandpa who just wants to give you gifts and, and see you smile all the time. There's God who is a childhood friend who supports you uh, no matter what is happening in your life. There's there's God who is the trouble fixer, and there's God who's the cosmic letdown. And this list goes on and on and on. And the problem is that in our culture, and oftentimes in our hearts, 
We want a God that is small enough that we can contain him. We want a God that is small enough that we can control him. We want a God that's small enough that we can understand him. But the reality is that that God is too small. And a God that's too small isn't a God who can save us. We cry out today and every day, Jesus, Son of David, save us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Father, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Spirit, have mercy on us. We don't need a God who is small enough that that we can understand him and we can manipulate him and we can get the things that we need to out of him. We need a God who will destroy every barrier that sin and death and the devil can erect to keep us away from his love. We need a God who overcomes. We need a God who triumphs. We need a God who is beyond our understanding and beyond our imagination. We need a God who is alive. And it's that God who is being revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's that same God who steps into a locked room on the evening of his resurrection. This is what John says, on the evening of that day, it was the first day of the week, the disciples were locked away because they were afraid of their neighbors. They'd locked their doors to keep their neighbors away. They were afraid of them. And God, in the person of Jesus Christ, came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. The words that Jesus spoke first to his disciples when he stepped into that room are, Peace be with you. The same words that he spoke when he sat possibly in that same room with them a few days earlier to celebrate a meal. My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Not peace as the world gives. So often we long for peace the way the world gives it. It means comfort, it means security. It means amusement. It may mean happiness but it's not real peace. The peace that Jesus Christ proclaims to his disciples is a peace that sustains. It means that there is an end to hostilities. It means that in Christ, all of the brokenness is being healed. It means that in Christ, all of the divisions are being restored. It means that because of Jesus Christ, who is present with them then and who is present with us now, We can be set free. We can be set free from death. We can be set free from illness. We can be set free from sin. We can be set free from fear. Because God is with us. And God with us says to us, to you right now this morning, peace be with you. Those are God's words to us. Peace be with you. Listen to what he says. He says that the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so now I am sending 
you. Just as the Father sent me, so now I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them the same words that are said over each one of us in our baptism. Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he gives them a charge, and their charge is to forgive, to reconcile, to heal, to correct, to sustain, to provide. The charge that he gives them is to go out and proclaim God's peace, and then to live it out. It's easy for us to gather together on on a Sunday and say to each other, peace be with you, peace be with you, peace be with you. But it's a very different thing for you and I to live out Christ's peace. To do that in our homes, to do that with our spouses, to do that with our housemates, to do that with our children, to enact Christ's peace to them. Because that costs me something. There's a cost associated with me proclaiming. That means living out. That means enacting God's peace. Because if I'm enacting God's peace to you, it doesn't just mean that we're going to ignore anything that makes us uncomfortable. It means that we are going together cast down every barrier that sets itself up against the love of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Not love the way the world loves. Not peace the way the world gives peace. But love and peace, which we see in Jesus Christ, giving everything that he has for the sake of his beloved, holding nothing back and expecting nothing in return. That's the way that God loves us. And that's the way that God is calling us today to love each other, to proclaim peace, to enact peace, to become peace. And right now, we have an unparalleled opportunity to enact Christ's peace in our homes. All of the noise that is around us is beginning to grind to a halt. Now, we can choose to open our doors and our windows, by which I mean turn on our TVs and our phones, and we can let all of that noise and all of that fuss and all of that bother, all of that not peace into our lives, or we can shut it out and we can begin as individuals and as households and as families enacting Christ's peace. And when we put that into practice, this way of being peace, forgiving, emerging, submerging, contending, Sending, proclaiming, the way that Christ enacts peace. If we begin to practice that now in our context, right here where we are, right there in your living rooms, at your dinner tables, at your home offices, as you walk around your neighborhood to get out in the sunlight, which you should be doing, As we begin to enact Christ's peace, to practice that, to create patterns of peacemaking in our lives and in our homes, when it comes time for doors to open again, we will have prepared our hearts and our homes and our households 
to enact peace in a way that we didn't understand before because our lives were so cluttered with peace the way the world gives it, which is just amusement and distraction. What Christ is inviting us into today is to trust that he is with us, that God is in our midst right now saying the same thing that he says every single time that he arrives after his resurrection. Peace be with you. God's peace be with you. And we're being invited to join him in that work right now in our homes so that we can then learn to become that peace in the world again. To shut out the noise and the confusion and to hear God speak God's words. To hear the Lord speak words to you that my heart and your heart need to hear today. Peace be with you. In the midst of your doubt, peace be with you. In the midst of your fear and anxiety, peace be with you. In the midst of your frustrations, peace be with you. In the midst of your boredom, peace be with you. In the midst of your new craziness, peace be with you. Christ is saying to us right now and in each moment, peace be with you. And he's inviting us to join him in that proclamation to become Christ's peace in each other's lives, to learn how to love the way that Christ loves, is to learn how to proclaim peace the way that Christ proclaims peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.